Well, if you're joining us today for the first time, we've been uh, going through our Confession of Faith in Sunday School. Uh, we are in chapter 22 of the Confession of Faith of Religious Worship and the Sabbath Day. Chapter 22 outlines um, not only what we call the regulative principle, that it is God alone who defines what worship is and how it is to be given, um, but also what is the kind of worship that he has prescribed? What does it look like? What does it not look like? We've been walking through paragraph three um, and considering um, what kind of prayer is acceptable to God. Um, we've seen that prayer is to be made in the name of the Son, the Son Jesus. We saw that this means not merely to say, quote, in Jesus' name, amen, as appropriate as that is, but more than that, to pray in the name of the Son means to pray to the Father by faith in the merits and mediation of the Son, and to enter boldly by faith through the way that Jesus has made. As I said, you can, you can pray in that way and not even technically say, in Jesus' name we pray at the end, and you're still praying in the name of the Son, because to pray in the name of the Son is to pray by faith through Christ to the Father. Furthermore, we saw that prayer is to be made by the help of the Spirit. We considered several passages which talk about praying in the Spirit. We considered how the Spirit guides and empowers us in prayer and also intercedes on our behalf. Next, we saw that prayer is to be according to the will of God. As I said, quoting Calvin, this doesn't simply mean to ask for things that are lawful according to God's will, right? We all know that there are things that are not God's will, and there are things that are God's will that we ought to ask for, but that in and of itself is not simply what it means to pray according to God's will. More than that, it means to pray with a heart that desires to see God's will established on earth as it is in heaven. As Calvin describes it, it's to make his will our own, really, to have a heart that desires what God worships that's to pray according to God's will. You could, in many ways, be praying for things that are technically lawful and good, um, and yet be praying it not according to God's will because you're not, it's not truly his desires, it's yours, it's for vanity or all kinds of reasons. Um, and so on a deeper level, it's to, to make God's will your own. Lastly, we saw that prayer is to be made with reverence. We considered how this is simply to apply the third commandment to prayer. Again, the Baptist Catechism, question 60, says, What is required in the third commandment? Answer, the third com commandment requires the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, words, and works. Well, prayer is an ordinance of God. It's something that he has commanded and appointed as a means by which we are to have fellowship with him. Therefore, the third commandment by extension means we are to be reverent in that ordinance. We're to be reverent in prayer. I, I said here, if you remember, um, we want to avoid two errors when it comes to having reverence. And I think these are two ways in which people can err when it comes to, to the topic of reverence. On the one hand, we want to avoid what our confession of faith calls slavish fear, the fear of punishment, to view God not as father but as wrathful judge. That, 
that is related to being under the law. That is related to being uh, a slave in bondage. And we're no longer that. We are adopted as children and God is our father. Some people think that um, any kind of intimacy in prayer, well, that's not reverence. No, that's not truth at all. We, we, are very, um, we have a very intimate relationship with our father. Um, and intimacy is not the opposite of reverence. On the other hand, we want to avoid an utter lack of reverence. While we reject slavish fear, we do endorse what is called a childlike fear, or most basically what Scripture calls the fear of the Lord. It's not a fear of punishment or wrath, but of reverence and respect and awe of our Heavenly Father. And even though God is our Father, yet He is still God, and we are not. He is still creator, and we are creature. And so while there is an incredible love and intimacy that we have with our Father, yet we still always approach Him with reverence. These are the last, things, the last four things we saw in paragraph 3. Well, if you have your confession of faith, let's continue to look at the other aspects of acceptable prayer. Um, if you have your confession, open up to paragraph 3 of chapter 22, and I will read from the top uh, of paragraph 3. And we'll just go through it. If you have it, please open there. It says, Prayer, with thanksgiving, being one part of natural worship, is by God required of all men. But that it may be accepted is to be made in the name of the Son, by the help of the Spirit, according to His will, with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, and when with others in a known tongue. Well, let's continue then. We did deal with understanding two weeks ago. Um, let's continue with the element right after reverence, which is namely humility. Acceptable prayer is to be made with humility. On the one hand, as I, as I went through this list, uh, this element struck me as kind of obvious. Um, prayer in itself is, is a humbling action. Um, it's not a proud action. Uh, on the one hand, in prayer, we give thanksgiving, which is itself an admission that we received from something from God, something that we did not have. That's humbling, right? In the confession, it says, or I'm, I'm sorry, when we confess before the Lord in prayer, we confess our faults and our sins and our shortcomings, our lack of holiness. Again, all things that require humility, all things that pride hates. Pride thinks it has no faults. It's insulted at the idea uh, that not only does it, it have faults, but it must confess them. But in prayer, when we confess, that, that is humility. You can't pray without humility. Furthermore, in prayer, we ask for things. The implication being we don't have them of ourselves, and that apart from God's giving them, we shall not receive them. And so prayer, in many ways, is simply the heart humbling itself before God and looking to receive everything from Him and giving thanks when it does so. So we want to be sure, however, that we do not abuse prayer with vanity. It's interesting that this was a particular critique of our Lord against the scribes and the Pharisees, time and time again, that they misuse prayer not to humble themselves before God, 
but rather to exalt themselves before men. For example, Luke 18, 10 through 14, two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house humbled rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice the great evil irony of the Pharisee praying there, thanking God for receiving something, but in so doing, praising himself instead of praising God. Um, <clears throat> furthermore, our Lord says in Mark 12, 38 through 40, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the place of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Look at me and my great long prayers, Jesus is saying. Or lastly, Matthew 6, 5 through 6, before teaching the disciples the Lord's Prayer, Christ says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have your, their reward. When you, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So all that to say, humility is, is of the essence of prayer, such that to pray in vanity is not to pray at all. Um, you cannot pray without humbling yourself to God in any of the aspects of of prayer. Now, this does not mean that we must grovel and abase ourselves as if our prayers and, and our, um, our great humility and humbling of ourselves was the basis upon which our prayers are heard. Thankfully, our prayers are heard again by the mediation of Jesus and upon his merits. And yet, humility is such a part of the nature of prayer that prayer is simply not prayer if it lacks humility. Next, the confession says that fervency is a part of acceptable prayer. Fervency. This is a word we use a lot, but you're kind of like, what exactly is fervency? Um, who can give me a definition of fervency? See? It's kind of hard, right? What is fervency? Genuineness? Okay, kind of. Yeah? Ardor, ooh, excellent word, excellent word. I'm going to go with ardor. That just takes them all. Um, ardor, zeal, earnestness. There's, there's kind of a, um, there's, there's a, there's spirit behind it. There's, there's heart behind it. All those things are getting at um, fervency. It is to pray not simply with the mouth or the mind, but with the heart Two ways that we see this commonly in Scripture is with the language of crying out to God and also with the language of tears. Cries and tears are often said to accompany prayer. Psalm 39, verse 12, 
Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. Or Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Really, to pray fervently with cries and tears, if you think about it, is really just to pray according to God's will. When you desire what God desires, your heart breaks for what breaks God's heart. You can't help but cry out, right? When you, when you see a lack of holiness in your own life, when you see a family member who's lost and your heart just breaks, you can't help but just cry. There's a fervency there. Why? Well, because you're praying according to the will of God. No longer just your will, but you, you now desire what he desires. You now hate what he hates Furthermore, throughout Scripture, it is clear that it is the fervent prayer, the fervent prayer that is the prevailing prayer. We see this with Hannah, for example. She prays in the bitterness of her soul, and only her mouth moves, and yet God grants her petition. Or Elijah. James says in James 5, 16 through 18, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The ESV says of that verse in James 18, the ESV says he prayed fervently. Other English translations, um, they say he prayed earnestly. Interestingly, it's actually what we call a Hebraism, a Hebraism. Um, I'm sure Reuben knows this. Whenever I, not, not of Reuben, but whenever I speak Spanish, I speaks, uh, this is the way I, I like to say it, I speak English with Spanish words. Does that make sense? Yo hablo inglés con palabras españolas, meaning I think in my mind in English, and I'm kind of using Spanish words to translate but I'm still uh, speaking in English and thinking in English, and it takes me like a couple weeks. I would have to be like totally immersed for two weeks before the transition starts taking place up here, right? Well, we see little things like that in the New Testament from Jewish authors who are thinking in Hebrew and Aramaic and yet using Greek, and this is one of them. He actually says of Elijah's prayer, Elijah prayed his prayer. Or praying he prayed. Perhaps you've heard it said when God says to Adam, you shall surely die, he says, dying you shall die. It's a way in Hebrew, it's called the absolute infinitive, um, and it's kind of like a way of expressing intensity of something. In the day you eat of it, dying you shall die. You shall truly die. Well, here he says, praying he prayed. He prayed earnestly. He prayed with fervency. John Gill comments and says, the prophet prayed with much earnestness, with great vehemence and intenseness of spirit, as this Hebraism denotes. His prayer was fervent, and it was constant and importunate, and was continued till he had an answer, and it was his fervency which ultimately prevailed with the Lord. The Puritan Thomas Brooks uh, speaks about 
the power of fervent prayer in his book, A Word in Season to Suffering Saints. Uh, Listen to this. This is very beautiful. It is not the length, but the strength of prayer. It is not the labor of the lip, but the travail of the heart, which prevails with God. It is not the arithmetic of our prayers, how many they are, nor the rhetoric of our prayers, how eloquent they be, nor the geometry of our prayers, how long they be, nor the music of our prayers, how sweet they be, nor the logic of our prayers, how methodical they are, which will prevail with God. It is only fervency, importunity in prayer, which will make a man prevail with God. Fervent prayer hits the mark. It carries the day and pierces the walls of heaven. The child has got many a kiss and many a hug by crying. If God has withdrawn his presence, the best, the surest, and the readiest way to recover it is to send up a mighty cry to heaven. Psalm 18:6. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to seek to grow in the fervency of your prayers. Obviously, we're not talking about manufactured tears here, a manufactured fervency. That's, that's something that the Pharisees did. Surely, um, part of our Lord's critique against them was this, oh, look at how zealous they are in their prayers, and yet it was all phony. We are to pray with a true heartfelt fervency, but this is something we must ask and seek uh, the Lord to give us. This also shows us one of the great advantages of fasting with prayer, insofar as it simply increases the fervency of prayer, brothers and sisters. All my most fervent prayers, if I were to look back on all my life and say, when did Ryan truly pour out his heart to God? There are two situations. One, I was in great anguish or some kind of really hard situation, or I was fasting, right? In the first situation, I didn't need to manufacture it. I was simply giving a very natural cry to God from my circumstances. In my second one, fasting, there's something about it that just, it humbles the heart. It makes you have a desire for things. And so I would say, um, if you are encountering something to pray and yet you, you feel a lack of fervency, um, perhaps it would be good to, to fast when you pray, and you will see your fervency is cre- increase as well. Next, the confession says that acceptable prayer is to be made in faith. Faith. You know, just as I said that humility is really the essence of prayer, since it's a tacit admission that you are weak and you lack and that someone else must give you something such that without humility, prayer is not prayer, so also I would say without faith, prayer is not prayer. This is very much tied in with humility in the sense that when you give thanks, you're humbly acknowledging that it was God who gave you something. And yet, you also can't do that apart from faith, truly believing that God actually gave you that thing. I would say it's, it's one thing to give lip service to God. God, I thank you for providing this. It's another one to truly mean it by faith. Um, I can tell you there have been many times when God has provided um, in the midst of a trial, and yet I wasn't walking by faith, 
at the end, uh, throughout that trial, and yet he provided. And I gave thanks to God in the end. But because I wasn't truly walking by faith, I was perhaps looking to my own means to, to find a solution. When the solution finally came, I didn't truly give thanks to God as I ought to have. Whereas when you, if you're walking with God by faith, when he truly gives the solution to something, you give thanksgiving. Why? Because you truly believe it was God who did it. Um, <clears throat> Furthermore, just as with humility, it is a tacit admission, you don't have of yourself what you need, so also with faith, you must also believe that God will give you what you need. It's not enough to simply know that you lack, but to know that God is the one who will give it. And so faith is just so crucial to prayer that without faith, prayer is not prayer. We see this in the following scriptures. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You can't seek God apart from faith. And what is prayer but seeking God? James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Lastly, Mark eleven twenty-three through 24. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that, he, that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Perhaps that makes some of us a little bit uncomfortable. We're, we're surrounded by a lot of health and wealth um, in this area. That's something that was very new to me when I moved to this area of Texas. We're kind of like very careful of name it and claim it kind of stuff. On the other hand, we don't want to deny the bare words of our Lord that faith is crucial to prayer. You must actually believe that God will give the thing when you ask it. And apart from that, God does not accept such prayers. They're not acceptable to him because it's essentially not prayer without faith. How often do we pray, brothers and sisters, and yet do not actually believe that God will answer our prayers. Perhaps it is a lack of faith in terms of the power of God. Maybe we think something is too big for him. We would never say things like that, of course. And yet perhaps in our heart we actually believe that. Our problem is bigger than our God. Or perhaps we don't lack faith in terms of God's power, but maybe his love. Perhaps we think God is certainly capable of answering our prayers. He is far bigger than this mountain, and yet we doubt his love and mercy and his fatherly heart towards us. We say, no, he won't answer my prayers. I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, when you pray to stir up faith at the beginning, incorporate the word of God, not just to pray according to his will, Remember, we read that from William Gurnall. He says, prayer is simply the promise reversed, right? Do that, but also incorporate the word of God into your prayer to build up your faith. For myself, there are several passages I like to remind myself of before I begin to pray. There's several I like to remember my, remind 
Because, again, without faith, prayer is not prayer. Perhaps I read to myself Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Perhaps take a passage which deals with the specific aspect that you are struggling with in faith. If you are perhaps doubting God's power to accomplish something, go to those passages which deal with his immense power, his great miracles, and all the providences and provisions he has wrought in the past. Encourage and stir up faith in that way. If perhaps you're struggling um, with more the fatherly love aspect, go to all those places which talk about the Father's tender heart for us. I know for myself, when, when I feel that way, I read Exodus 24, 6 through 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Oh, he has a heart of pity. It's mercy, it's not merit. God um, is kind to us. I remind myself that God is my father. I recall my own love to my son. I love to do things for my sons. This last week, I was at Walmart. I was getting Gorilla Glue, and I happened to see, they always put these things to snag you at the beginning, at the opening, right? A little pumpkin. And I thought, gosh darn it, I'm going to buy Carlos a pumpkin. They got me. Because I love doing those things. I love to see his face when he sees the pumpkin, even though he didn't care about it and he hasn't looked at it or touched at it since I bought him. But we won't talk about that at all. You know, $5 down the drain. Anyway, um, but God gave the analogy of a father to a son because of that, because we know the love we have for our own children. And he says, I am now your father. Remember that. Just as you love to give good things to your children, God loves to give his children good things. And in so doing, stir up faith when you go to pray, and you will find yourself prevailing with the Lord. Lastly, if you are discouraged by your lack of faith or the great weakness of your faith, bring even that to Christ who strengthens faith. Remember that according to Hebrews 12, 2, Christ is the founder and perfecter of our faith. The founder and perfecter. John Owen says of Hebrews 12, 2, Christ by his obedience and death procured the grace of faith for us. It is given unto us on his account, Philippians 1, 29. And he prays that we may receive it, John 17, 19 through 20. And he works it in us, or bestows it on us by his Spirit in the beginning, and all the increases of it from first to last. Hence his disciples prayed unto him, Lord, increase our faith. So he is the author or beginner of our faith, and the powerful working of it in our hearts by his Spirit, and he is the finisher of it in all its effects, in liberty, peace, and joy, and all the fruits of it in obedience for without him we can do nothing. Take even your weakness of faith to the Lord in faith and ask him to increase it as you pray. Next, the confession says, 
that acceptable prayer is made with love. Love. Not just faith, but love. On the one hand, you you might ask why this is added here. Um, After all, how could someone have true humility and not also have love? How could someone have a deep faith and not also have love? It it kind of seems uh, a bit superfluous to add love here. Um, I would say that love is added here not to suggest that someone could somehow be humble and yet lack love. That, that, That can't happen. Um, There's a sense, we talk about this in terms of the unity of the commandments. To break one is to to break them all. Um, In moral philosophy, philosophers talk about the unity of the virtues. You can't have one without having the other one. There's there's a sense in which they're united. Um, The love is not added here to suggest that someone could be humble and yet lack love. Rather, I think it's added to challenge us. Because when we lack love, we often justify our lack of love by looking at what we also have, perhaps a great faith. Well, I'm praying with great humility. I'm praying with great faith. Therefore, I can't be bothered with love. And this one says, no, actually, if you don't have love in your prayer life, none of that other stuff is as, as it ought to be. I think the chief passage... Um, that comes to mind, one which is probably what prompted this to be here, is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Turn with me there, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verses 1 through 2. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Notice in particular the phrase second to the end, or really the last, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. Many commentators note that this is most likely an echo of the words of our Lord in the gospel. I think that's actually what Paul has in mind here. Matthew 17, 20, he said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. What's happening in Corinth is that many of the Corinthians were boasting in their great gifts. And apparently they did have a great amount of gifts. Paul, Paul talks about their gifts, that they, they were one of the most blessed churches in terms of giftedness, right? The problem, however, is they looked at that and began to boast in it. They boasted in their great gifts, and yet Paul, Paul throughout his letter he uses love as really the genuine test of true spiritual gifts. For example, the Corinthians boasted in their great gospel knowledge, and yet Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This quote-unquote knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagine he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. 
But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Paul's point is that a genuine, true, deep knowledge of God produces a genuine, true, deep love for God and others, such that love is the test. If you do not have true love towards God and others, you may make a great boast of your gospel knowledge, but you do not know as you ought to do, as you ought to know. So it is with faith in chapter 13, and so we may say with prayer as well. You can have a great faith in your prayer. You can have a great boldness. You may truly believe in the great power of your God and even in his love towards you. You could have great humility and abase yourself before God in fasting and prayer. You could have great fervency and great perseverance in praying with God for hours until he grants you your request. But if at the end of the day you have not love, none of those things are as they ought to be. Your faith is not as it ought to be. Your humility, certainly, is not as it ought to be. And so, in many ways, the great test of a true Christian growing in maturity in their prayer life is if it results in love. Love for God and love for others. If not, guess what, brothers and sisters? you got to go back to, to square one because you're not believing the Lord as you ought. You're not humbling yourself as you ought. You do not have reverence for God as you ought. Love is the true test. I would also say um, this is one of the reasons why God does not hear our prayers oftentimes. God does not answer because they are full of pride and they lack love. One of the most striking verses, um, this, should, this should stop every husband dead in his tracks. Um, every wife dead in their tracks too, because they could do this too, right? But it's directed at husbands. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Whew. There's been many a Sunday when I'm about to leave the house, and I've been arguing with Annika the whole time, and I think of that verse... And I could just say, so that your preaching may not be hindered or something like that. And I have to go and make up and apologize and all that. Why? Because this verse, oh man, this should cause, and even wives as well. If you're arrogant towards your husband, if you're not giving him the proper respect that he is due in the Lord, all those things, your prayer shall be hindered as well. The same for children. If they are not honoring their parents, their prayer shall be hindered. Why? Because love is the true the true litmus test of genuine prayer that comes from humility and by faith, all that stuff. And so the confession rightly adds love here because love is the great test. It's the great test of the fruits of holiness. Lastly, the confession says that prayer is to be made in perseverance and, then, uh, and when with others in a known tongue. Uh, let me just knock out the last element there. It says, in a known tongue, I will simply say um, that this connects to the fact that prayer is to be made with understanding, right? You can pray with understanding and you can say amen when you're praying with someone else. They have in mind here, particularly the Roman church, praying in Latin. Um, but it applies to other situations as well. 
prayer is always to be made uh, with understanding. The only exception I would give, I don't know if I told you this story before, um, I've prayed with some people who have a hard time praying in another language. Have you ever experienced that? I remember being at a, at a youth group, at a youth thing one time, and we had the Spanish ministry kids. That's what we called them. Um, they were like American. We just referred to them that way. And um, I was talking to one boy, and I said, well, do you want to pray? And he said, he said yeah. He said, but I'm going to pray in Spanish because I don't know how to pray in English. And I said, okay, I guess that's fine. Like, it, it wasn't like he was trying to be difficult. He didn't think Spanish was a holier language. For him, that's just how he was raised. He always heard sermons in Spanish. He heard his parents praying in Spanish. So he was comfortable with that. Um, and I could understand for the most part what he was saying, so that's not a problem. Um, generally, however, um, it is to be done with understanding. Another thing I thought about, which is interesting, is I'm not trying to pick on anyone. Have you guys ever heard of how Koreans pray? Anybody? Koreans pray. I've heard it's actually freaky if you've never experienced it. So they all hold hands and they all pray at once to God. And so it's, it sounds, I'm not trying to be mean, but kind of cacophonous, right? Um, they're all praying at once to God. Oh, I'm sure those, I'm sure God loves Korean believers. I, I, I'm sure they're much holier than I am and they have a greater prayer life than I do. And yet there's a part in which when we pray, if it's supposed to be in a known tongue so that we can understand one another and say amen, certainly we shouldn't be talking over one another at the same time, right? So perhaps there is a critique for that as well, just something I thought of. Besides that, paragraph three, the last element is that prayer is to be made with perseverance. There are many verses which talk about this. Think of Ephesians 6.18 Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We see this with Christ in the garden. He goes to his disciples. Could you not watch with me for an hour? In other words, could you not persevere? Do you give up so easily, right? I think one of my favorite, uh, I, I forgot to write this down, one of my favorite verses I know I've shared this with you guys before, but it's such a, um, let me look it up, sorry. Um, I guess this talks about fervency as well. Is in 2 Kings chapter 13. Turn with me there real quick. I think this is such a, a powerful passage. Begin in verse 14, 2 Kings 13, verse 14. It says, Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow, and he drew it, and Elisha laid his hands on the king's hand. So you can kind of see this old man kind of helping him to put it where he wants it to go. And he says, and he said, open the window eastward. 
And he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped and the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you have made an end of it. But now you will only strike down Syria. You will strike down Syria only three times. The first time I read that when I was a new Christian, I was taken aback because I wondered, wow, I don't know that I would have kept on shooting, right? Um, and yet the king is to truly be faulted. If these were the arrows of God's victory, shouldn't he have kept shooting until he said, okay, now stop shooting. You're, you're done now, right? As much victory as I can get. Hey, if God's giving victory, I'm going to get as much as I can get, right? And so his fault was in only doing three times and stopping when these signified God's victory. In a similar way, brothers and sisters, we can say about perseverance in prayer Perhaps we, we are willing to pray two or three times about something, and yet we stop when the prevailing with God comes in the fifth prayer. Perhaps we are willing to strive with God for a certain amount of time, and yet we give up thinking this is good enough, when if we had continued, God would have given us something much greater. He would have answered even more victory. Um, I love to remember that verse, especially when I'm challenged with something. If there's something that in my mind, my, my heart tends to doubt and think this thing is unmovable, right? I remember this passage. No, I'm going to keep praying. And I'm going to shoot as many arrows as I can. I'm going to pray with as many arrows as I can because these are the means of God's victory. Prayer is how he answers our prayers and gives us victory, just as the arrows were with Joash. And so also, prayer is to be made with perseverance. Well, that's the end uh, of paragraph three for now. We'll go ahead and stop, um, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll all hold him to it, okay? Pressure and guilt, pressure and guilt, just perfect good Christian things. Jason Delgado will be teaching on the Psalms again, so we're all looking forward to that. After that, we will continue with paragraph three. Um, any questions before we end for today on paragraph three? Any questions on what has proceeded in prayer? I did find something uh, in John Owen, I would say. Um, remember how I was, when we talked about not praying through any other mediators, and I said that there, it was a Jewish practice around this time after the second temple, to see angels as other kind of mediators, but I couldn't find a whole lot on that. I actually found something from Owen where some of the Jews said that Michael was the high priest of heaven insofar as he uh, lifted our prayers to God. Um, just kind of confirming what I had said before, it's in um, John Owen's Hebrews commentary. It's in his volume, the first volume of that, um, but just a further comment. Uh, for further affirmation, that was a common view. Um, and so when Paul is rejecting the worship of angels, it's also the mediation by angels as well. Um, so with that, even more, we reject that. 
I did see something. It's a shrine in Orange County, California, and it's called uh, Mary, the Mary Queen of Heaven Shrine. And it was like, it was like, it was a meme, and it was like, Roman Catholics, we don't worship Mary. And then it was like, Mary Queen of Heaven Shrine. And you're like, well, I don't know, guys. It's looking pretty much like worship. I, anyway. Well, with no more questions, you guys.